I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to the Cosmo Happy Hour. It's everything you would talk about with your best friends, from sex to celebrity to entertainment. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson. I'm Elisa Benson. This is Cosmopolitan.com's Happy Hour podcast. And today we're talking to women who have had to deal with tremendous hardships in their lives. Whether it's the loss of a parent or a partner, they are getting real about grief. Joining me in the studio today is co-founder and CEO of Modern Loss, a website and community that offers candid conversations about grief at every stage. Please welcome Rebecca Sofer. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me today. Thank you so much for coming in. And I wanted you to co-host this episode because I love what you're doing with Modern Loss. And can you sort of, I know I gave that little like one sentence about what it is, but for people unfamiliar, can you explain what it is and why you decided to start it? Yeah, well, um, I think it's safe to say, I say this a lot to people because they say, well, why? That's so interesting. And like they say it interesting, like kind of like, are you some creepy person who thinks about death and grieving all the time? I'm like, no, actually, I, I wasn't. Um, it wasn't really my life plan to run a site that I co-founded with my friend um, Gabby Berkner uh, almost three years ago. Um, and this wasn't my plan to do this on a daily basis. I'm a reformed TV producer. I'm a journalist. Um, I appreciate comedy. I love being happy. Um, Which but you it, probably always have to give that disclaimer to people. Uh, I yeah, love being it happy. Is like, I, I think that not everybody would give the disclaimer. Um, there, I don't know if we can use obscenities, so I probably won't. Oh yeah, okay. go for it. Well, I think as you get older, you increasingly give, you know, less bucks. Yeah, as one would says, you know, totally I think agree. That's the technical term. Yeah, cosine. Um, so at this point in my life, I I do give fewer and fewer fucks about giving that disclaimer. But I would say at the beginning when we did launch Modern Loss, which is almost three years ago, there was this disclaimer of like, you know, it's not depressing. It's actually a really positive site. It's about living with loss. It's not about death. It's not about like, you know, the darkness. It's about the fact that this is a website that shares so many different types of stories from so many different types of people about how grief and loss has affected their lives at any stage after they experience that loss because loss isn't that first like 365 day period of time. Um, I think a lot of people like to think that it is because it makes it more neat and tidy to them. But the truth of the matter is that when you experience a loss, that stays with with you for the rest of your life. And you're going to have triggers at any moment along the way thereafter. A year from now, 10 years from now, I mean, I lost my mom 10 years ago and her loss is is manifesting itself to me in ways that I never even imagined 10 years ago. So modern loss started three years ago because 
as I just mentioned, I lost my mom when I was 30. She died in a car accident. My dad died, if you can believe it, um, about three and a half years later. So I literally became an orphan. <laughs> it was so it's so crazy, you know, when I was like 34 years old, um, and that wasn't my life plan. And I was living here in New York. I was working in daily TV in comedy. I was a producer for the Colbert Report, and I had to go in every day and watch people laugh and go home at night and deal with the fact that I was living with losing and everybody else in my life was focused on building, building, building because I was in New York. I was working in media. Everybody around me was young. They were doing what they should be doing, which is building and looking forward. And I was also doing that because I was single. I wanted to meet somebody. I wanted to grow my career. I wanted to do all that. But at the same time, I was dealing with a very real presence in my life, which was the absence of people that I really needed. A very real absence and also something, you know, the loss of a parent, we all feel like we're too young for that to happen. So it's not something that feels like we're at the point where this is when people's parents die. So some, you know, a a giant loss and also something that it sounds like you were feeling very alone about. Oh, yeah, I felt, I mean, I, and this is where I say, you're right. I think that at any stage, I feel like you probably feel like a little kid when you lose a parent. My own mom lost her mother six months before she died. So my mom died in a car accident um, in 2006 in September. And earlier that year, her own mom died. And I watched her go through that loss. And I remember she said to me, and she was like 63 years old, and she said, Beck, a mom is a mom is a mom. And I'll never forget when she said that to me because she was this fully functioning adult. She was living a very full and happy life. She had a strong marriage. I mean, if I say so myself, a great kid. Um, But at the same time, I watched her be in such deep grief over this woman who was in her late 80s and died. So yes, I think it's hard at any stage. And I think in particular, losing somebody, losing a parent when you're in your late 20s, when you're in your 30s. Um, Again, at any stage, I think it's hard, like when you're a teen, when you're a kid. But I think in that stage, it provides its own challenges because I don't necessarily know that there are um, structures set up to support someone in that stage of life. It's not like you're going to college and there are guidance counselors. Right. I mean, your chances are you're working full time or you're just finished grad school or whatever and you're trying to build your career right. and you're working a lot. And let's be honest, we're attached to our machines. The lines between work and personal are increasingly blurred. We don't know how to draw boundaries. And so it's really hard to carve out the time to support ourselves when you're in that stage of life. And so did you, you know, I think especially in a city like New York where people are so ambitious and so hardworking and like we all work these like 12 hour days or whatever it is I mean did I would imagine and then you tell me the real story but I could imagine having that moment at work where everyone is so sympathetic and understanding for like two days and then it's like okay like now come back to the office I mean did you felt like you you dealt with that where everybody was wanting to move along a lot faster than was (coughs) realistic Yeah, I do. I mean, and I want to say that I, you know, I worked for a TV show that a lot of people know. um, And I love Steven and everybody I work with. I'm still very close with my former colleagues. And so it wasn't that it was just this 
actively negative experience of people who just didn't want to know anything about what I was going through. In fact, a handful of the people I worked with showed up at my mom's funeral. And by the way, I mean, I'm not from New York. I'm from Philadelphia. And this is a daily TV show. And people showed up on a weekday in Philly, 100 miles to the south, to support me. And it was very deeply moving. But the fact of the matter is is that life goes on right. and that everybody has to get back to their own lives and their own problems and in my case their own daily productions because the show must go on. So I don't know that I actively experienced a lack of humanity at work. Um, it was just more reality. Like I worked in a place where we were pitching jokes all day long right. and I would watch people laughing um, when we were taping the show and I would just go back home and just honestly feel like dying. I mean, yeah. I did. It was it was very, very isolating. And I didn't feel like there was room for me to really reveal what I was going through. Um, I was also lucky, I want to say, that I had a wonderful boss, the supervising producer of the show, is a wonderful human being and told me to take as much time as I needed. I wish I had taken more time. I only took off, I think, maybe 10 days. And this was a very sudden accident. She died very suddenly. I was in shock for, I would say, a good year, to be honest with you. Um, Looking back, I should have taken off probably a month. But I didn't. Um, There are some people I know whose companies don't allow them to take off more than three days. Right. And so I'm a really big proponent. I mean, this is a whole other conversation of changes in bereavement policy in this country because... It's in the dumps right now. Well, but, you know, you saying, like, I wish I, you know, you were lucky to be in a situation where it sounds like you had a great relationship with your boss and she was willing to give you time and you took 10 days and wished in retrospect you'd taken more. But how do you even know? You have no idea. Right. And you like, literally don't know what you need. Right. I mean, you just don't. You don't have the foresight and hopefully you don't have the hindsight right. from another experience. In my experience, I had never lost a parent before. I'd never lost a sibling. Um, I had actually lost a very dear friend. Um, when I was in my early 20s, but it wasn't really the thing where I was in a position to take off time from my senior year of college. Um, This was a work question, and I really didn't know what I needed. And to be honest, I made mistakes with myself. But there is no other way to go about it because every person's experience is their own. And it is hard to hear somebody else tell you what to do because you don't really know what you need. You don't know. I will say that four years later when my dad died, um, he had a heart attack in the Bahamas of all places. He was on vacation. We like to say that he really figured it out. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, he made it really hard for everybody else. Um, I knew what I needed. And it's a shame that I was fortunate enough to be in the position of getting to lose another parent right. and being able to take care of myself. But it was. Um, that's just the fact of the matter. And I remember, oops, I was in a different job at the time. I went in after a couple of weeks and I said, I need to tell you that um, in a few months' time, I was working on a really big project. I said, in a few months' time, I need to take some time off. I will take like the family medical leave. I, I don't really care. Like, Don't pay me for a month or so. But I need to take that time off because I know it's going to get really hard. I know I'm going to need to go through things, go through financial issues, go through 
their items, you know, try and right. figure out what to do. And I can't do that every single night and weekend after work because that's what I did with my mom. And it just flattened me. I mean, I was left with no energy whatsoever. Right, right. And I would imagine, I mean, I would imagine, I guess, to be fair, that some people would have that conversation with a boss and it wouldn't go well. But I would also think, and probably this was the case for you, that you know, a boss doesn't know how to deal with this either. So you sort of saying, I, this is exactly what I need. Can you make an allowance for this? I would imagine most supervisors would say like, yes, we will figure it out. Yeah. I mean, look, the hope is, is that, you know, I'm a big believer in humanity, although tonight, you know, tonight are the debates. So, you know, like, let's hope that that belief is still alive come tomorrow morning. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you would hope that if you knew what you were asking for, that your supervisor would be humane enough to know that you really need it and try and make you happy and want to retain you as an employee. Um, you know, it's not just a, a humane decision, but it's also good business sense. And I think that a lot of my friends who are managers and supervisors very, do treat their employees in, with, with such kindness when they go through such things. I have a very good friend who's a banker here in the city and who was pregnant with twins and lost one and actually um, had to give birth to both twins regardless. Oh and her boss at the time, I mean, banking's a very unforgiving industry, and she said that her boss was the m kindest, most humane person in her life during that entire time because he had lost his mother at a young age. And so it's kind of like you never know where it's going to come right. from. Um, but I, I really believe that the onus, unfortunately, is on you to tell people what you need to tell because they're you need. not you know it's kind of like when they say you know draw your own boundaries or else somebody else is going to draw right. them for you you really need to tell people what you need even you know but the fact of the matter is you might not know what it is that you need right and i feel like enter modern loss <laughs> you know i so this is the impetus is you going through this terrible and un unimaginable thing for the second time but sort of realizing like I am more prepared to deal with this oh, you yeah. know was that sort of the the moment of sort of other people could maybe benefit from hearing my story as well or benefit from what I've learned yeah definitely I think that after my mom died I really just was put through the ringer um, I'm an only child I have older siblings they're they're half brothers from my dad's first marriage um, they're much older than I am we weren't raised together for so really like I'm an only child so I went through losing my mom who was my best friend in the world and I know that sounds really trite but she really was she was like the greatest person in my life I have a lot of amazing friends I have a really full life, a great life. But her suddenly vanishing from it really threw me off my axis. And I actually haven't regained that axis fully. I mean, I'm just completely different than the person that I was, you know, the minute before I got that phone call that she had had a car accident. Um, I got this inkling during the first few years after she died that there were actually a lot of people like me who were feeling really isolated, who were living, you know, maybe in cities, like maybe in rural communities, whatever, maybe in like Afghanistan in a cave, who had lost people and felt really alone, felt like they really couldn't talk about it to anybody, felt like they were being made to feel like pariahs for just existing with loss. and that it was something that they should be embarrassed about. And I was also, I was embarrassed to talk about it. I had like first dates kind of end suddenly when it came up that my mom was dead. I mean, you wouldn't, it's really ridiculous, but it's true. People don't really know how to deal with you. Right. And 
I, in my experience, you know, you really do kind of feel like a pariah sometimes. I think people think that loss is contagious or they don't want to think about their own mortality. But, you know, the fact of the matter is for people like me and so many other people out there, it's just a fact of life right. that we're living with the absence of somebody that we really care about. So I really wanted to start something. But in those first few years, I... I just, I didn't want it to be like the Rebecca therapy project. Right. You know, like I didn't want this to be like my personal right, experiment and right. blogging, you know, like right. working through my feelings. I'm a writer, I'm an editor, I'm a journalist, I'm a producer. So it was really more after my dad died and the years after that that I was like, you know what? No. Now I've gone through this twice and I still have yet to find the resources out there that I really need. Um, there are a lot of amazing places online where you can read about loss, right. but very few of them were speaking to me personally. A lot of them were really clinical. Um, some of them were a little more earnest than, I mean, like, I, I freaking work for comedy. You know, right. I used to work for Comedy Central, so I, I really like seeing the tough things through the lens of levity whenever possible. I really believe in laughing because I'm an inherently very happy person. I like enjoying life. Um, I think there's a way to do that without, you know, reading stories of loss you know, that want to make you just drink whiskey on your sofa sure. all day long. So it was after my dad died that I really was ready. You know, a few years after that, I was really ready to embark on launching Modern Loss. And so my friend Gabby, who also lost her father and her stepmother very suddenly, she's also a journalist. And we started working on the site together. We really had no idea what was going to happen with it. We got all those questions that you asked about at the beginning, which yeah. were like, you know, oh, You've like, that sounds super times. creepy. Like, yeah. why are you working? on something so morose and we were like well it's not going to be like that it's really just going to be you know stories of loss are human stories it's like humans of new york what's the common denominator everybody in there is a human as far right. as i know but all those stories they can be about anything right they can be about like drug dealer fathers or politicians or love or break up anything so that's the deal with modern loss which is that the common denominator is that all these stories are being told because there was a loss. Beyond that, it can be about anything. We have stories about money, about love, about, you know, inheritance, about feelings, about being pissed off. But there, you know, a lot of them are downright hilarious. Um, and we just wanted to share those stories because we thought by extension, people would feel less alone in their own. And you just signed a publishing deal. Actually, um, we 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 signed it last year, and we have a book due in T minus four days. Oh my gosh! So. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we're gonna be um, we're writing the first modern loss book for Harper Collins, um, and it's very exciting. And Gabby and I have worked really hard on it, and we have some really incredible voices involved in the project with us. And you know, your guess is as good as mine. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> What's the book I, called? It's called, as of now, it's called Modern Loss. Our, the, the tagline for the site is Candid Conversation About Grief, Beginner's Welcome. Mm. And the reason I really love that is because I think when you say words like loss and grieving, it's like so creepy sounding. Yeah. And it's just not. I mean, it's like... We're, we're allowed, like Donald Trump is allowed to talk about anything that he wants to. Why can't we talk about what it's like to lose a boyfriend or a husband or a friend or a parent? Like, why is that so taboo? I literally, I, I don't understand that. So we say beginners welcome because, you know, we're not going to bite. Like, this is not right. scary. This isn't scary waters for us. We're not talking about like awful, awful, terrible, terrible 
gut-wrenching, like, end-of-life death experiences. We're talking about the things that happen afterward. And yet, they're really profound. Some of them are really sad. We have stories written by people who receive emails from school districts reminding them to sign their child up for kindergarten. But hey, that child died when they were two. But they just happened to be signed up on, like, the township listserv. You know, but then we have stories that are absolutely downright you know, will will leave you laughing because you're nodding your head at not only how much you can relate to it, but also like even if you can't relate to it, it's just a really good universal story. Right, right. It's a good story. And I think, you know, the tearjerker stories, I think that's what everyone would expect, but filling out the emotional range of emotions that apply to this topic, I mean it just sounds like there wasn't anything else out there that was doing that. So good thing you came along. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Um, I want to put a pause on this this very heavy, but also very light and fun conversation um, to talk really quickly about my new obsession of the moment, sun basket. So a huge part of eating healthy is just finding the time to do it. You guys know that I struggle with... making any time to be healthy but taking the time to plan your meals going to the farmer's market figuring out portions it all adds up it's confusing it's time consuming if you're like me and you don't have any time you will love sun basket sun basket delivers delicious healthy recipes and fresh ingredients straight to your door you can prepare each meal in just 30 minutes or less which is actually true i know because i've done it it's healthy cooking made super 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 easy you get organic non-gmo ingredients from the best farms and fishermen everything is seasonal seasonal and sustainably sourced sun basket offers paleo gluten-free vegetarian options none of which apply to me because i eat literally everything created by an award-winning chef and approved by nutritionists each meal comes with pre measured fresh ingredients and easy to follow directions and it's delicious it's time in the kitchen well spent um i have loved my meals i tried from some basket and they were really fun to make and i don't really know anything about cooking or like being an adult so i when i'm telling you it was easy and fun and delicious i promise it really was if you guys want to try it for yourself which i highly recommend go to sunbasket.com cosmo and get your first three meals for free that's sunbasket.com slash Cosmo to get three healthy, easy to prepare meals free. I'm going to say that one more time just to make sure you guys got it. Sunbasket.com slash Cosmo. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Our first guest is a Cosmo reader who has had such a tremendous outlook on life after dealing with a horrible tragedy. Please welcome Emmeline Wynn. Hi, Emmy. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Good. We're talking about grief on the podcast today. Um, and just diving right into your experience, you lost your boyfriend, Josh. Can we talk? A, can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with him? And how did you guys meet? Um, we actually met online. And um, we went out a couple times. And eventually we started dating. And when was this? Um, This was a little over three years ago. Okay. And so how serious were things with you guys? Um, It didn't start out so serious. um, It never does. (laughs) Yeah, it didn't start out so serious. I wasn't sure if I was really into him. And then eventually it became really serious. And we were dating for about a year before he passed. And so what happened? Um, He was in a 
freak car accident. Um, he was coming off the freeway, um, off the on off ramp, and um, they think it just something happened, and he hit the sidewall and then hit like a stop sign. Um, and according to the medical report, died instantly on impact. How did you find out? Um, his mom called me the next morning. Um, I, it had happened close to midnight on a Tuesday. And Wednesday morning, she called me around like eight in the morning. And I thought it was really weird because, like, she never called me. Yeah. Did you have and her number, like, saved in your phone? Like, yes, you knew it was I his did. mom calling. Okay. Yeah. And but I could imagine was, that would seem very weird. Yeah. It was very strange. And I thought, okay, well, I should probably answer it. It's, it's his mom. And she said, I have some news. And she's like, Josh was in a car accident last night and he died. How did you, what was going through your mind in that moment? My mind literally went blank. I remember I was at work and I was by a table and I instantly just dropped to my knees and was holding onto the table and like just started crying. But my mind was completely just like blank. And Because so I, I had actually seen him like just, the day before. Right. And and so what happened after that? What's he, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> um, did, you know, what was sort of the process from going for this moment of getting this devastating news where, you know, you can hardly believe that this is happening to sort of getting on with your life again? Um, I cried a lot. <laughs> Um, his family had a memorial service for him. And, um, even though I hadn't spent a lot of time with his family, um, I went and just to meet all his friends and family that I had heard about all year long, um, and the stories and how they told the same stories, um, made it so much better, I guess. Um, he shared just all those really good memories, but it was, it was hard for some time. Like, why did this happen to me? Right. Um, like what could have I done to prevent this from happening? Um, and Rebecca, I know that on your site, of course, you talk about stories like this all the time. Um, is that sort of feeling that Emmy is talking about? Like, I kind of kind of can see you nodding your head. Like, is that really common? Do you hear a lot of people sort of saying, like, this immediate feeling of, like, why me? Why did this happen to me? Yeah, I mean, I think that's I, – I just think that's a human reaction. And, you know, Emmy, I'm so sorry. I can relate to, you know, not losing a boyfriend that I love very much suddenly, but my mom died in a car accident too, and I had just seen her – um, less than an hour beforehand. So that was oh, wow. not the call that I was expecting. And when, when you were talking about when you got that call from his mom, I just, all my hair stood up on my on my arms because I, I just, I feel so deeply for what you had to go through. Um, and just losing a partner like that, that you were just starting out with must have just been so awful. Um, yes. And, and I think that, yeah, I mean, I think um, 
Allie, that um, Elisa, that um, that feeling of why did this happen to me? I think it's just a natural one. I don't think that makes us self-centered. I think that you know <laughs> you're trying to make sense of the world, right? Uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Emmy, but like you're just kind of thrown into this world where nothing makes sense and you're just trying to get through every hour minute seconds sometimes and when you're doing that you're you're just trying to kind of make new sense of of everything that's around you and you're trying to figure out what your new place is among everything yeah. else yeah like how do i how do i identify myself now to like i mean even to this day i i have a hard time i don't want to call him my ex-boyfriend because he's not Right. Like someone I broke up with, but also at the same time, like, I mean, I don't want to just call him a friend either because that seems insignificant too. That was one thing that I was going to say that I think is particularly, you know, so hard about hearing you tell your story is that I think and probably to all of our, you know, reader, like our listeners out there, um, you know, a lot of like Cosmo girls in their 20s, you know, that idea of dating somebody for a year, like that is a serious relationship. But at the same time, it doesn't have the sort of officialness of like a family relationship or like, you know, you even talking about being at the memorial service and like a lot of the extended family that, of course, like you hadn't even met at that point in the relationship. And mm -hmm. I think that's just something that like, you know, I've never even really thought about what that would be like to have that sort of really serious relationship with someone you love, but it's still, you know, in some ways, like, not official in, in a way that you don't really have to deal with until something like this happens. Yeah, like, I, I met his dad for the first time yeah. when I went to his memorial. Like, I had, I had met with his sisters and I had met his mom, but it was... I definitely, like, first time meeting his dad was there. And he was like, I'm sorry that we are meeting under these circumstances. Right. Um, what sort of resources did you lean on or people did you lean on to, you know, process this? Um, definitely his family. I am extremely thankful that even though, you know, I hadn't spent a whole lot of time with them, his family was super supportive, super, I mean, we still talk. We still mm -hmm. connect every time they're in town, we visit. Um, definitely his family, my family, for sure. Um, my friends, um, but honestly, I went and saw a therapist. And yeah. was like, I need someone to just help me process this. And let me just cry and be alone and have it be okay. Like have be in a safe space where someone can help me get through this. And you know, not to like ask a frivolous sounding question, but like I'm curious now in the time that has passed since then, like how has this impacted your dating life? And like you know, like any time a relationship ends, it can be hard to move on and date again, but this was obviously a traumatic you know, this was a tragedy. And also to your point, like it wasn't like you guys broke up. Oh, I'm by the way, I don't think that's frivolous at all because love is love, regardless of whether you're yeah. married or you're dating, whatever. And it totally, I mean, I know I was single when yeah. my mom died. And, you know, I don't know about you, Emmy, but it certainly changed me how I 
how I relate in relationships forever and ever. Yeah, I guess I just meant I didn't mean to be like, so what's Tinder like in your neck of the woods? I mean, <laughs> but but what is Tinder like? Yeah, but what is Tinder like? <laughs> no, it's actually it's it's funny you ask that because it's definitely changed my dating life like upside down. Um, I tried to start dating again and. Um, I was, I went to dinner with a guy and without even thinking that I, about my background on my phone, because it was a picture of me and Josh, Mm -hmm. um, he asked what, he asked what time it was and I clicked my phone and there was the picture and he was like, who's that? Um, and it was like this awkward conversation and, um, kind of, he kind of made it seem like, oh, I'm still attached to this guy. Like I'm still, you know, like that I might be cheating on him in the near future with this guy that was in my background. Um, So did you have to come out and be like, did you have to explain what happened? I had to explain what happened. And I was like, I'm really sorry. I didn't want it to come up this way. And even now dating like two years later, I never sure if I bring it up first thing or if I bring it up later because you know, it's it's still a part of who I am, but men definitely react weird to it. It's like, oh my gosh, like this girl is damaged or she might still have feelings for this guy, even though he's not around to like be there to, you know, possibly go back to. Um, so it makes dating really difficult and you know just I'm, I'm never really sure how someone's going to react can, can I just I mean dive in just to make you feel a little less alone because you know I mean I never had to date after losing a boyfriend and uh, honestly I mean I know this sounds trite but I can't even imagine um you know just like being forced to spill the beans just because the guy saw your iPhone screen. I mean, you're just not ready to do that at all. Right. Um, yeah. That must have been just super messy and just not emotionally convenient for you at the time. Um, but, you know, I totally relate to the mess. I mean, after my mom died, I, I just wrote about this in, in my book. And, and we, we still, you know, my I have a small group of girlfriends who are, you know, part of my life when this was going on. But I met this guy who I really liked. Um you know, I really liked, who knows if I really liked him. It was like a month after my mom died. What did I know? But we went on all these dates and we were having what I would construe as fun. Um, and he didn't really ask me any deep questions. And then after like six weeks, he we were out to dinner and he said, oh, so where's your family live? Like after like five or six weeks, he finally asked me a question about my family. And I had been grateful that he hadn't before that because I just didn't feel like talking about it. And I finally said, oh, well, you know, Actually, my, my mom just died a couple months ago. Uh, and the date was over before I had any You're clue kidding. what was going on. I mean, you can't even write. I mean, 
the only way that this could be portrayed accurately is in a movie. I mean, the date was over within three minutes. Right. I was in a cab within five that he had put me in because he talked about waking up early for work. I mean, it really is ridiculous. And he literally sent me home. I never heard. I mean, I don't want to say I never heard from him again because he tried to friend me on Facebook two years ago, which I thought (gasps) was like exceedingly awkward. Um, But proof that he had no idea what an idiot he was in, in that night. And that's just like one example. Right. And I do not mean to switch the conversation from grief to like my issues with men. But I think in that horrifying example, Rebecca, that you just illustrated and Emmy, to your point about what you're saying, like I do think there is a stereotype about men, which is a stereotype for a reason that they sort of want to avoid any kind of emotional heaviness, especially early on. Um, you know, I think men and sometimes are, forever and sometimes <laughs> forever. I think men are often panicked about like men always sort of assume that women want things to be super serious, even when that isn't really the case. Um, and I could see that even though one thing has nothing to do with the other, I could see that men hear this emotional thing that you're revealing and they're like I've waded in too deep like eject yeah, eject it's eject. like an instant like okay we're done let's stop talking right because right. um, obviously you're crazier you have issues right. or something it, like that's, that that's exactly as opposed to life just like happening yeah right <laughs> uh, men. I, that's exactly what I feel like I get oh my gosh this woman has issues she's crazy she might cry I can't deal with this okay Please. <laughs> right, right. Definitely the like fear of tears is so real. Um, so Emmy, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, do you have, you know, before we have to hop off the phone, what is your advice for I don't know if it's even possible to give advice, but if you had to, maybe what is something you wish you had known when you were going through this? Um I think one of the big things that I got from it is to talk about it. I mean, I went through a phase where nothing anybody said was the right thing to say to me, but I also didn't know what was the right thing to say to me. Everything right. was going to be go- got, like wrong regardless, but just to, I think just talking about Josh and the fun things and the memories instead of kind of like pushing it to the side and pretending it never happened like I think really helped me a lot and I think a lot of people there's this stigma we have in our society that like you know someone dies you grieve you should be over it like don't talk about it right like grief is a period in time yeah that it's like just this you know you went to the funeral you have a week. Okay, you should be better and get on with your life. And it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. I mean, um, I I still have my triggers and everything. And so, just being able to talk about that has really been the best thing I think for me. It's like when people ask you how you're doing, the answer isn't always fine or okay, and. It's good that you are owning the fact that that can't always be the answer. I mean, because I think by extension, you're really going to make other people take a look at themselves and how they relate to others and themselves. I I think that's the only way, actually, to kind of pull the curtain back on talking about stuff that's stigmatized still, which, you know, in this podcast episode is grief and loss. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. There's just no other way to do it. I mean... 
but to be a little quote unquote outrageous about it and outrageous simply just means talking about it and not just saying fine or okay every time someone asks how we're doing right um yeah and i think that's the thing too is to let people like know how you're doing even if they don't ask because i know after josh's accident and everything nobody asked and people were scared yeah people were scared and the first time someone asked i was like oh my gosh this is what i this is what i needed for someone to ask yeah yeah that's that I think that's good for all of our listeners to sort of hear because I think there is a lot of like I'm actually even thinking that as I'm like stumbling through this podcast and talking to both of you guys like it's hard to know the right thing to say and so I think sometimes people instead of taking a chance on saying the right thing don't say anything at all or like say that I don't want to bring it up or this is hard to talk about I I think that like there are so many wrong things to say but that shouldn't dissuade people because I think some of the wrong things are just really obvious like some of the things that aren't going to help you are telling someone they're in a better place um, (laughs) saying everything happens for a reason right um only saying it's all going to be okay because you know our response right Emmy is Okay, how? Tell me how. Tell me exactly yeah, how you know that. Right, you, you know, liar. Just, or, or like, you know, <laughs> I know how you feel. My dog died, which, by the by, I, I got that line. I got that twice. Oh, um, my gosh. And I love, dogs are people, too. I get it. I have a Labradoodle. She's my first I don't feel born, that way. <laughs> but, you know, not, sorry, not the same yeah. thing. And yes, not no. at all. <laughs> so I think, like, yeah, there are a lot of wrong things to say. But I think the good thing about that is they're so obvious. <laughs> they're just really platitudes. You know, read up on them a bit. You don't have to know the right thing to say. I think the right thing to say sometimes when you're at a loss for what to say is, I'm here for you. This is so shitty. Right. I'm here. Oh, yeah. That's And that's what I, I t- told my friends, too, is that, like, can we just acknowledge that this is a really shitty situation? Just acknowledge that this is awful. Right. And just go from there. Like, let's not, yeah, everything happens for a reason. He's in a better place. No, I don't want to hear that right now. Right. We don't have to make it this, like, fake positive. This really sucks. Yeah. You're young enough. There are other fish in the sea. I wonder if you even got that. Hopefully you didn't. (laughs) Oh, no. I've I've totally gotten that. And I I still get that. (laughs) That's awful. And I'm like, but that that doesn't change the fact that it happened and that it still affects me in some way. Uh, People are terrible. People can be idiots sometimes. They don't mean to be. To their credit, they don't mean to be. I've been an idiot repeatedly. I'm an idiot every single day. Yeah. Trust me. But, you know, they don't mean. It's just that that's the point. It's that we're not used to talking about this stuff. So by extension, we're idiots about it. We will be yes. so much less idiots. <laughs> that's not English, but it's like six o'clock. <laughs> grammar is allowed to go downhill oh, yeah. after five, right? What's grammar? Um, you know, y- you can, you're going to be somewhat stupid about it unless it's part of a conversation it's just fact right and emmy that is why thank you so much for calling in and talking about this like that is the whole point of why we wanted to do this episode is to sort of talk about these things and have these tough conversations to help people who unfortunately find themselves in these tragic situations but also to help people on the other side of the equation who are dealing with friends or family members who are grieving so thank you for sharing your story with us emmy thank you for letting me yeah of course um and when you call in sometime on some future episode we'll just talk about tinder and the fun stuff (laughs) <laughs> okay. Sounds All right. Great. Bye, girl. Bye, Emmy. Bye. Thank you.
When Keen Winter walks into Willa Davis's pet shop with his great aunt's feline from hell, he's sure that the drop-dead gorgeous pet store owner he's never seen before is mad at him. She's sure that he needs a kitty sitter, but the last thing Willa needs is to try to rescue a guy who doesn't even remember her. If she has her way, he'll get nothing but coal in his stocking. Unless he tempers naughty with a special kind of nice. The Trouble with Mistletoe, a Heartbreaker Bay novel from New York Times bestselling author Jill Shalvis, available wherever books are sold. And now, a passage from The Trouble with Mistletoe. You want to come upstairs, Willa? What she wanted was to put her hands back on his chest now that she knew it was as hard as it looked. Instead, she gripped either side of her seat with white knuckles. Of course not. I think you do. I think you want something else, too. What I want, she said as coolly as she could, is dinner as promised. Liar, he chided softly. Well, that's just rude, calling your date a liar. Oh, so it is a date. His tone was very male and very smug. It should have pissed her off, but instead it did something hot and erotic to her insides. Clearly knowing it, he smiled at her and then dragged his teeth over his lower lip as he contemplated her. That was an excerpt from The Trouble with Mistletoe, a heartbreaker Bane novel from New York Times bestselling author Jill Shalvis. Find it everywhere. Books are sold now. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Our next guest is the author of It's Okay to Laugh, Crying is Okay Too, and has been published several times on Cosmopolitan.com. Please welcome Nora McInery Permort. Did I slaughter that, Nora? <laughs> no, you got it right, but my book title is Crying is Cool Too. Oh, I'm is. sorry. It's Okay to Laugh, Crying is Cool Too. There you go. You got it. <laughs> um, so I want to start... I'm like, let me just blow right past all the things I basically just slaughtered and start off talking right away about your relationship with your late husband, Aaron. You were pretty candid about dating a bunch of dudes until you guys met. Yeah. Yes. I think I just spun through my 20s just being like, I'm going to put my arms out, close my eyes. And if I hit you with my hand, you are going to be my boyfriend. Right. So it's just Um, like loser after loser. Oh, so many, so many, (laughs) so many people who... You know, honestly, most of them weren't great, but um, as far as losers go, but a couple of them, like you were a good dude and you were just not on a, you were biologically an adult male. End of list. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I think I've dated that guy too. We have so much in common. Wait, so then everything, was it, is it fair to say everything changed when you met Aaron? Honestly, it was just so, I didn't meet Aaron and think like, wow, I got to date this guy and marry him right away. Like he was a person who I just felt so immediately comfortable with. I just thought like, this guy's just going to be in my life in some way. We met at this art gallery and we apparently followed each other on Twitter. And he walked up like through this huge crowd of like huge crowd, six girls still, um, (laughs) pretty huge of like my cousins who are also, you know, some of my best friends. And, um, he said, you are Nora McInerney. And I was like, yes, who, who are you, um, <laughs> buddy? And he was just so like magnetic and fun and invited, you know, my cousins and I out with him and his friends. And I got to this bar that he had invited us to, and he was sitting at this table with probably 35 people. And I thought like, 
oh, I guess I misread that situation. Maybe he was not super interested in me, just apparently friends. That's cool, too. Um, and it was just like one of those things where you can talk to somebody like all night. You like exchange numbers and you're just trying to like make each other laugh like all day, every day on the phone, on the computer. Like, what is my work responsibility? Apparently, just making this guy laugh. Right. Um, and... Uh, and when we did go out on a date, it lasted like eight hours and that was with not, I mean, we didn't even kiss. It was like eight hours of just hanging out with a person oh and my being gosh. like, um, and I, I don't know. I just, I remember after that date, I went to my friend Courtney's office. Uh, much of our early courtship is about me n- not working at work. I have to say. <laughs> As all as all early courtships are, right? It's like how can they use this work day to convince a boy to like me? Yeah, Um, to stalk him on Facebook. Let's let's Mm -hmm. see. Yeah, yeah, stalk him on Facebook. Just get like you know a real clear picture of who he was. And I I sat in Courtney's office and I was like, I just feel like this is important, and I don't know why. Like this will either be somebody that I end up marrying, or like I never ever date another person. Right, and that was after after your first date. That was after our first date. We wow. talked about like everything, like every, our families and how many kids we wanted and just all these things that you, and like, you know, the other people we had dated and just like all these things that you're not supposed to necessarily like talk about on a first date. We were just like, oh no, small talk, please. Let's just get into this. Right, right, right. So it's easy to see how you guys sort of fell in love from the very beginning. Um, and at what point was Aaron diagnosed with cancer? It was almost a year, uh, it had been a year since our first date. So um, we'd been together a year. I'd just moved into his house and not super told my parents um, (laughs) about that. (laughs) I'd been really vague about my living situation. Really vague about your new apartment. (laughs) Really vague. I'm like, location, none of your business. Yeah. Uh, What is it my own place in a way? Um, and uh, we we just moved in together probably like four days before, and he just had his yearly Halloween party, which was also, um, you know, one of the the first uh, interactions I'd had with him was at this like Halloween party that he hosted every year at a different bar in Minneapolis that he would rent out and. Um, like DJ and have like this crazy like adult Halloween party, like just a bunch of grown ups acting like like middle schoolers and it's called Halloween. Um and I had gotten very, very drunk. It was like my like looking back, like that was our last normal night together. Like right. just being normal people. And I got I mean, just so drunk. You remember just. nothing about it, basically. Oh, God. I, I remember just, like, his face looking at me like, you are an animal. Like, what is wrong with you? And I remember being, I remember crying and being like, I will never not be drunk. I will be drunk for the rest of my life. And he was like, he was like, you puked on my car. Like, how did you do that? He was being so patient. And I was like, take me to Taco Bell, like, weeping that I would never... Um, not be drunk again like it was a permanent state and then waking up the next day and um, just feeling so terrible that I spent like the last day of our normal life like in bed um, while he uh, just hung out with me and watched movies and then left the room to eat because I was like you can't even eat around me right that's how 
That's how bad that is. It's bad. Well, I think that's sort of interesting the way you phrased it, your normal life, because, um, you know, the people we've talked to earlier in the podcast, including Rebecca, of course, you know, we're talking in some ways about, you know, a tragedy that was very, very sudden. And that was completely different for you and Aaron. And, you know, you guys ended up getting married, you know, having a baby, sort of knowing about this diagnosis. Can you talk a little bit about you know, what that was like. And it almost sounds like, you know, you divided your relationship, as you said, into like the normal part. And then I don't know if you have a phrase for the rest of it, the cancer part. No, I think like, I think even I say normal part and I just mean like, uh, I don't even know if I mean normal anymore. Like now this is normal and it all became our normal. It all just became our life. Right. You know, like this was, this was all our life. And so we'd, we'd been dating for a year. It was literally Halloween and my phone rang at work and it was a coworker of his saying like, had Aaron ever had a seizure before? And he worked at an ad agency where if you left your computer unattended, someone might send like an all agency email about like, you know, your Viagra prescription or just something like that. <laughs> right. Um, and I don't know why I thought like someone, I know why, because it's so outlandish. It was just so out of, the realm of possibility that he would have had a seizure that I thought like, no, you idiot. Like don't waste my time at work. Like with phone calls like this. So, Mm -hmm. um, he wasn't joking. He's a very, very sincere man. And, uh, I ended up leaving work and having my mother drive me. My mom and I worked at the same place. It's not quite nepotism, but it's probably close. And, um, like getting to the hospital before, Aaron's like ambulance did and waiting and thinking like this can't really be real. And even up until the moment where, you know, that night they'd given him by that night that the hospital he'd had an MRI and we knew it was a tumor and he and I were both like, well, you know, big deal. They take tumors out of people all the time. Right. Um, like it can't, it can't possibly be worse than that. And a part of me knew too, like laying there, they had also identified like, you know, this heart murmur that he had that, um, you know, in a lot of people is very serious for him was, you know, not anything really more than just a weird heartbeat that he sometimes had. But knowing that, I don't know, like I just remember laying in bed and thinking like, why on earth would you wait for anything ever again? Hmm. Like, and up until that moment, I had been waiting. I've been waiting for everybody in the world to tell me how to do life and to tell me like what to do next. And, you know, I was like probably a lot of people who listen to this or every woman you've ever had on where I got really good grades in school and I did all the things I was supposed to when I was supposed to do them. And I was really, really good at just following direction. Yeah. Um, even as an adult, I was like, okay, I guess I work in um, PR and marketing now. I guess I'll take this promotion. I guess I'll work towards this. Not because it was something that I necessarily wanted, because somebody had told me that's what you do. That's what you want now. And I, Aaron and I had been talking since that first date about, you know, our imaginary marriage and our imaginary children. And I proposed to him and was like, we're getting married as soon as you're out of here. Mm, and I'm getting goosebumps. I, I remember him saying, like, you can't marry me now. Like, who knows? Like, this could be terrible. Like, this could be bad. Like, you shouldn't even want to marry me now. And I was like, I'm going to marry 
the shit out of you as <laughs> soon as we're out of here. Like, that is what's happening. I feel like you just said yes. I'll take it as a yes. Um, and we didn't even tell anybody. I remember his mom, when he was having his brain surgery, saying, you know, I think that Aaron really someday wants to marry you. And I was like, girl, way ahead of you. <laughs> You're like, I got yeah, this. Duh. Yeah, <laughs> um, of course he does. And we, I mean, we got pregnant three months later um, through the miracle of IUI, intrauterine insemination. It's very sexual. You lay in a room and a nurse puts your husband's sperm in your vagina for you. Sexy. Um, it was pretty hot and it worked. And, <laughs> you know, that was like another thing where it's like he, he, Aaron's brain, brain tumor came back when I was eight and a half months pregnant and we knew that was a possibility, but it's like, so what, what would we have waited for, for his brain tumor to like come back and come back? There's never going to be like a good time or right time to do any of these things. You just do them. In some ways, you know, the epiphany of sort of why am I waiting? Like this, is, I don't know if this is the wrong way to say, but in some ways, or the wrong thing to say, but in some ways it's like you were lucky to sort of have that while you still had time with him. Of course. Of course I was like, and it's, it's, I have no problem with you saying that either. I feel like it's very easy to think like these are things that we just um, get. Like, and I remember people saying like, don't take things for granted. And I was always like, I just, I know like cognitively what that sentence means, but like, um, how do you not, <laughs> you know, like it, it, it's, we just are so comfortable until we're uncomfortable because these things happen to someone else, you know, and then they until they happen to you um so of course i was i was super lucky i was so lucky to be able to like fall in love with aaron i was so lucky to be like pulled into his orbit i feel like being loved so fully by somebody who could see me and love me anyway and like see all my weirdnesses and um he just gave me like this freedom to actually like be alive and I feel like anything that I've done since then is because, I mean, in the words of Celine Dion, which I've been listening to a lot lately, because you loved me. Um, and I really do feel that way. I feel like he helped me. Like, I have a good life even now without him. It would be way better if he were here. Of course, I will always miss him. I will always love him. I will always be in love with him, always, for the rest of my life. Um, but without him he gave me like everything I needed to be alive and not just like have my heart beat but like be living without him and he did that without like trying or without preaching just by like being alive while he was here even though I'm like basically crying as you're talking about this I so admire and Nora we've loved to publish your pieces on Cosmo and you know the same thing is true as your book with the same thing is true with your book. I loved that you are able to bring so much humor to these really difficult things to talk about. And that's something that Rebecca and I were talking about earlier in the podcast as well. Um, is this, you know, misunderstanding that the only way to talk about death is in a really, really sad way. And I feel like the way that you have brought so much humor to this, I just feel like is incredible and has, you know, I'm, I'm curious to know before we have to wrap up, because I know you have to jump out, what kind of feedback have you received from, you know, telling your stories and from the book? I think that, you know, I started before I had the, this book, I um, 
wrote a blog called myhusbandstumor.com, which like, um, Cheerful what a deal, URL. what a steal that yep. URL was. Yep. I'm like, wow, no one snapped up this answer <laughs> blog yet. Like, allow me. Um, it was like 2012 where everyone else was making blogs, but theirs were all like pictures of food. Yeah. Um, and like, you That's know, pictures again. of them. Yeah. It's come, it's come back. The cancer blog is really, it was, a, it was a niche. And I think I, I still remember I actually talked a couple days ago to, um, my friend now, my friend, Mary, who was the first woman who ever emailed me, who was a stranger who read my blog and she lives in North Carolina in like the super rural area. Her daughter was the same age as my son. Our husbands were the same age. They had slightly different brain cancers. Um, and she had just Googled, my husband has a brain tumor and found my blog. And I was like, I'm so glad you found this instead of, you know, what I found the, the only time I Googled it, which was terrible. It was all, you know, people just discussing like the minutia of cancer, which we never got into. Like right. if you would ask me like, what are the drugs Aaron was on? I would have been like, whatever the doctor gave him. Right. Anyway. Right. Um, and like, she was the first person that I, where I ever realized that, Oh, somebody who doesn't know me might read this. Um, which is, I guess, kind of, uh, like, uh, maybe stupid, like, cause that's what the internet is. But I guess I just assumed that nobody who, um, nobody would care who didn't specifically know me. But the people that I hear from are not all people whose husbands have cancer, or whose husbands have brain cancer. They're just people who have gone through a thing. Right. And they're reaching out to me because the people around them have moved on. Like, this story is over for them. And so... They don't get asked about it and they, you know, they don't get listened to. And it's, it's not because the people around them don't care. It's because the people around them, you know, are afraid that they might say or do the wrong thing that, you know, they're going to bring up this person's dead mom or dead dad. And the person will have, I don't know, like forgotten about it. And they're like, Oh man, (laughs) I get that a lot. I don't want to remind them. It's like, Oh yeah. Trust me. There's no reminding (laughs) happening here. Yeah. Well, Not Nora. Like, oh, it, <laughs> oh shit! You're right. Oh my god, my yeah, I forgot. You're right. <laughs> totally so, forgot about that while I was watching Friday Night Lights. <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? My my husband is dead. Why are you doing this up to me now? Um, like I gotta go. Um, so I think like it just reminds me like to try to show up for other people in my life um, more than I think I historically had before you know, anything had happened to me in my life. And right. I think that today somebody came up to me because uh, I was out in public, which I never do. And she had said that her friend's husband was sick and that her book made her feel like she could be a better friend to her. Mm. And I was like, that is all I wanted. I think so much of it I wrote in an almost pointed way to for, <laughs> for specific people to know... Um, how I felt about things that I felt that I couldn't talk about because I didn't want to make them uncomfortable right. with my discomfort. Right. And um, and now I'm now I'm much less concerned with that. And that's my um, I, I write about these things for myself, um, but also knowing that um, even the people who disappointed me, even the people who you know couldn't or wouldn't be there for us for whatever reason. It's all it's all valid they're all feelings right. 
Well, Nora, that Nora, thank you so much. To yeah, you're trying to wrap this up. Yeah, I'm so no, sorry. I'm so, no, I'm so sorry. I actually could talk to you about this all day, but I want to give you one chance to say in two seconds before I have to literally hang up on you. Where yeah. should people, where is the best place for people to get your book and where should they send you feedback about it? Can you shout out your oh, website? Yeah, you can, you can email me on my website, which is noraborealis.com, my crowning creative achievement, mm-hmm. and you can buy my book literally anywhere you would buy a book except i think costco so don't go <laughs> not there costco. But not anywhere costco else. well thank you so much nora i appreciate it so much yeah thank you for having me i'm giving you the minnesota goodbye which is like where we just never let you say goodbye to us <laughs> and that's what i was doing you tried three times to interject i was like well but how's your how's your mom all right um, gotta go oh, that means you're an honorary <laughs> jew too <laughs> bye nora thanks so much bye bye So, Rebecca, I know that this has been an emotional episode, but also a very funny and enlightening episode. I want to just we've talked about this already throughout the entire podcast. But what is your professional and personal opinion on like (laughs) best thing to say to somebody that is going through something like this? Like, what is the one thing you should know or do if people take one thing away from this episode? Okay, disclaimer that I don't necessarily have a professional opinion because I don't think I'm professionally qualified, like, really to do much in life. Um, Amateur opinion. Okay, that comes too. But it's, um, you know, I'm absolutely not a therapist. I never should be granted those, you know, letters after my name. I think that, you know, more than that, I'm a journalist, which means I'm inherently interested in people's stories and in, in like the reasons for those stories and how those stories shape them into the people that they are today. Um, I think you just have to be a really curious person and want to ask questions. So that's one of the reasons I really enjoy running Modern Lost because it's a, it's really a journalistic project, which is helping people share their stories. And by extension, I've learned a lot. So it's not necessarily from my own personal experience, which I could tell you, you know, so I mean, like, this is like the tip of the iceberg that we started right. talking about. But, you know, given we've published hundreds of different stories from a lot of different types of people, from people whose names you've heard of, Nora's written for us, you know, we've published pieces from, you know, uh, uh, like a, a guy in in the middle of Indiana who, you know, lost a daughter when his his wife was in labor. I mean, we just have all these different voices. And I think that the common thread running through them and keep in mind that these people, for the most part, are coming to Modern Loss to share their stories because they don't necessarily feel comfortable sharing them with the people who are closest to them, which is very telling, right? right? Um, just like Nora was saying, people come to her because the people in their lives have moved on. Right. That's what happens. The strangers and exactly. the people who know your experience. They come to us because they know that we're not you know, going to give them platitudes. They know that we publish pieces in a very high quality, but also really tongue in cheek way that we're not scared of humor, of obscenities, of messiness. Like we're just not scared of any of that because anything that mirrors real life, we will do. Right. Um, So I would say that the common thread that all these people have are stories about, you know, don't tell us how to act. Don't tell us how to feel. Don't tell us what timeline to be on. Really don't tell us anything unless a we ask you for it right you know or b you really know what you're talking about and even at that know that every person's experience is completely different like i cannot relate to nora or emmy i never lost you know 
someone I was in love with suddenly, nor did I lose them like very slowly. Um, there are benefits. We've all played that game with ourselves, which is like, would it have been better to lose my to mom know. to an illness than I right. could like say goodbye and like tell her everything? Um, it's like a weird sick game, but it's, you know, you play it with yourself. So I can't really relate to that. But what I can, so I, I, I can't speak from my own experience to them. But, you know, what I do know from my own experience is I'm not going to tell them what to feel. I'm, I'm not going to judge them right. if, you know, seven years down the line, they have a day where they just really are so pissed off and taking it out on everybody. And they're just being completely bitchy because you know, you never know what someone else is going through. And, you know, a reason for that could be that, like, that person is actually just inherently bad human being. But chances are that they're just expressing something dealing that they're something. dealing with. Yeah. And so ask some questions. You yeah. know, what's the worst that can happen? That person answers you. And you don't have to have the right response if they answer you. You can just say, that's so shitty. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Do you want to talk about it? If they don't, Leave it at that. Go to a movie. Take a walk around the block. Right. Go back to work. But just let someone know that you're there to listen. Right. That is the most powerful thing you can do let for somebody. Let them know you're there to listen. Yeah. yeah. We, we don't have time to listen to people anymore. How many times do you talk on the phone a day? Zero. Oh, zero. Right? Like <laughs> yeah. how much time do you have to listen? Not a lot. Make the time because, you know, not to get super cheesy but I think at the end of your life you're not going to look back wishing that you got promoted one more time or that you really fought for like that one salary increase I mean, right. you, you might I mean if you're living in a hovel but um, <laughs> but I think you're just going to look back on the life that you've created and the people that are surrounding you right the connections you yeah made. and the only way to make connections to really be there for people well, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Um, where is, so the website, is that the best way if people are listening to this and want to connect with you? Yeah. Um, well, come say hi. There are many ways that you can do that. Uh, you can log on to our site. It's modernloss.com. And you can also sign up for our newsletter on our homepage where I will like very rarely, periodically say hello in your inbox um, because you know you don't have to like always bop on over to a site about loss um, you can find us on Twitter I'm at Rebecca Sofer two F's I tweet a lot in the middle of the night because I don't sleep anymore. Um, I have a two-year-old, so that's you know, gone out the window. <laughs> so people can tweet at you in the middle of the night, and, and that will be the best time are, to get a response. I will absolutely respond immediately, yes. That's good to know. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And oh, thank, thank you. you. It's been great. Thank you to all of you out there, as always, for listening to Cosmopolitan.com's Happy Hour Podcast. I'm Elisa Benson. You can tweet me or Insta me or Snapchat me. As always, at Elisa Benson, let me know what you guys want to see on future episodes of the podcast, and I'll see you guys next week. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.